Well, if you have your Bible, uh, why don't you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, I'll read and pray for our time, and we will continue in the Word together. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're just joining us, we're in this series called Faithfulness in a Foreign Land. As we work our way through this, uh, just a timely message throughout church history, but for us, where we find ourselves uh, at culturally as followers of Christ today as well. First uh, Peter chapter 2, I'll read verses 4 through uh, 10 today. Listen carefully, this is God's word. It says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and the stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, uh, as we turn our, our eyes and hearts to your word now, Lord, we all bring different uh, distractions, different struggles, fears, uh, experiences in this last week. Uh, uh, But Lord, we thank you that your spirit transcends all that and you desire to make much of Jesus and you desire to do that through your word. And so we ask that you would just do what you desire in your church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, in a couple weeks, we will uh, celebrate our fourth anniversary as a church plant. Uh, I think when you get to four years, I don't know if you can still call yourself a church plant, but n- nevertheless, uh, four years ago, uh, and, and in that time, uh, th- there's been some consistent things that we've con- constantly tried to push forward in, in different ways to, to just kind of uh, say, this is what we're going to be about. So we, we've talked about gospel centrality. We want to be about the gospel, that, that the gospel is central to everything we do and, and think. And so uh, it's in our songs, it's in our liturgy, it's in our scripture, it's in our gathering together in our gospel communities, it's in, in everything. So gospel centrality, and that, that should work itself out in gospel culture in the way that we treat one another. So that, that's one thing that we've put forward. Uh, another thing is that for the glory of God and the joy of all people, we've said our faith should have legs. It, it should go somewhere. It should serve the, our neighbors and the nations. And so we've just been trying to uh, incline our hearts for the last four years to God's global purposes. And we're still praying that among this room right now, maybe even you uh, would feel the call to go to the nations. And, and we, would, we, we would support you. We'd pray for you. We'd uh, fi- financially give to you to do that for God's global glory. But there, there's a third thing that, that we've constantly tried to put forward in the last four years that this passage kind of speaks to. And the third thing is that we want to raise your awareness of, your affection for, your knowledge of the local church. What God thinks of what's going on in this room right now is far, far more profound than you think of it. And so we just want to close that gap. 
God, God says there's just some amazing things that are happening uh, that, that maybe you don't even see. When you gather together with other believers and you open up the word and you pray with other believers and you sing with other believers. One of the reasons we, we love this particular room is because of the light in the room. This isn't a concert. This isn't a, a personal experience with God. This is a corporate family gathering uh, where we experience God's presence in ways that we cannot experience on our own listening to a podcast or even in our own prayer closet. There is something special throughout the Bible, but especially in the New Testament, when God's people gather, that, that is just, uh, God really treasures it. And so he uses language like this is his bride. And so, so often in our kind of self-autonomous, focused on our own thing, kind of Western church, uh, we say, what's in it for me? Like, I, I didn't like the songs that were played. I, I didn't like the sermon. Like, but, but God wants you to look at, at the bigger picture. And so we've constantly tried to put that forward uh, in the last four years. And this passage, more than any other passage, I think does that. We're going to unpack it in just a minute. But I was thinking about three groups of people. And maybe they're represented in this room. Uh, any essential oil folks? Don't be, don't be afraid, okay. So don't be offended when I say a few things in a moment, okay. How about CrossFit? We got CrossFitters? Any CrossFitters? Really? Oh, come on, where's Molly? Okay, no CrossFitters, but I can make fun of them then. Uh, anyone, uh, Marine? Any Marines? Okay. Well then, good. I'm safe. Uh, but no, I was thinking about these, these kind of groups, and, and you're like, what do these essential oil people, CrossFitters and Marines, have in common? Actually, more than you know. And, and I think they, the genius of all of them, and we're going to see, is, is they tap into something more than just what's on the surface. So, so you get your essential oils people. If you, if you know an essential oils person, uh, they're, they're usually not just into it. They're like really, really, really into it, right? Like... They've got uh, in their purse right now some peppermint oil in case anyone get wind, like anyone has a headache or feeling a little nauseous. Uh, maybe they've concocted their own blend. Like, uh, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you, you, uh, you're feeling stressed out. Just put some of this tea tree oil behind your knee. It'll be awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not into it. But, but you get it. They have their own language. Uh, you definitely got the diffuser at home. You're feeling kind of stressed out. You put in the lavender and you're like, man, this all is well in the world again. And they, they love to talk about it. They love to talk to each other about it. They kind of have their own language and culture that, that gets kind of built up around it. Um, they've got their own kind of creed. Uh, if you go to the, the, I went to their website, the, the largest oil seller this, this in the country. And I was like, well, what do they actually believe? And, and, and they got a mission statement, a vision. They got more than most churches got on there uh, about what they believe. And, and they got a purpose statement. Either. Like they're stacking it up. And so I'll just read the purpose statement here of, of one of them. It says, to empower the world with nature's living energy. Okay. So, so the essential oil people just said a little amen under their, <laughs> under their mask right there. The rest of us are like, that sounds like a cult. <laughs> right. But, but here's the deal. They've tapped into something more than just a desire like, hey, is there something, is there more natural ways to seek healing? More than that, they've tapped into this idea that, that, they, that they're kind of a community. Like 
They're evangelists to each other and they're evangelists to the world and because they believe in it and they, that they've tapped into well, what I believe the Bible is going to show us that we were made to be in connection and to be living uh, for something bigger than ourselves. And, and I think same thing with CrossFit, right? I mean, you spend time with CrossFitters, like, you know it. Like, they're into it. And again, they, they've got their own language for stuff. And they're like, uh, are you going to the gym? I'm not going to the gym. I'm going to the box. I'm like, okay. Um, and, and they'll be like, hey, what's your friend time? And, uh, and most of us are like, what, what are you talking about? Like, oh, it's 320. Oh, 320, man. If you could get down to three minutes. I mean, I've never done this. I just read this this week. Man, three minutes is like an epic friend time score. And so what, whatever you do, you're like, you got to work on different wads, right? Like, uh, you're like, what is a wad? A workout of the day. And, and they've got names like, you doing the Murph? Oh, Memorial Day, we're going to do the Murph. And so, uh, but, but here's the deal. Again, bigger than just like, uh, you know, 24-hour fitness or your, your local gym, they've tapped into something uh, that, that is communal. Like, they actually are a good picture of what the Bible often describes the church. They, they come around and they celebrate victories. That they're, they're welcoming. If anyone's struggling, they'll, they'll kind of lean in and, and cheer them on. And it'll be more than just like the, the workout. Like it, they'll start to get into your diet. And are you getting enough sleep? And, and, and like if you've ever talked to them, you, you kind of have a few responses. Maybe you're just indifferent. Uh, if you're into it, you're like, man, this is the best thing going on. Or maybe you're like, man, that sounds like a cult, right? Like, again, if you're a physical therapist, you're like, that sounds like a gold mine, actually, uh, what I've seen. So let's just keep it rolling, right? Am I right? Okay, good. So uh, we got a physical therapist in the front row, ladies and gentlemen. If anyone needs any work here. Um, so I've advertised an essential oil business, a physical therapy. Anyone else have any businesses I can make fun of? Okay, well, Marine, you're like, okay, Marine Corps. Okay, again, hoorah, simplify. The few, the proud, the Marines. I mean, like, I've spent a lot of time around different branches. The Marines are just different. They're just different, right? Like, like it starts from before you ever are in the, in the Marine Corps. Like, if you were to go down to the recruiter's office, you'd go in, and the Air Force guy, and the Navy guy, the Army guy, they'd, they'd smile, and they'd be like, welcome, and they would give you their pitch. They'd be like, hey, if you sign the dotted line, your life is going to be amazing, and we're just going to, just sign right here, just please sign right here, and we're going to ship you off, and your world would be awesome if you just signed there. And meanwhile, in the back corner, the Marine recruiter, this is his job, he, he's in the back, he doesn't even look up, he's on, the, he's on his computer, and and you're like, well, what about the guy back there? Oh, you don't want to talk to him. You're like, no, I want to talk to him. And so you go up to him, and he, he, if you do get his attention, he'll look up and he'll look at you with disdain, like, you serious? You're like, well, I'm thinking about joining the Marine Corps. He'll stand up, he'll look you up and down, and be like, no, you don't, you don't have what it takes. You should go talk to the Air Force guy. And the Air Force guy is like, Forrest Gump, hey, over here. <laughs> and so some people are like, okay, I'll go to the Air Force or whatever. Not knocking the Air Force, I'm just saying, like, it's a more comfortable life. So the Marine Corps guy will be like, okay, well, you don't look like you have what it takes. And you're like, no, I do have what it takes. And now you're starting to get, now you're starting to get initiated. Okay, if you have what it takes to, to be a Marine, we'll see about that. And so they make their boot camp longer, they do all this stuff, and, and they just build this culture. And, um, I mean, all the branches do to some degree, but, like, to be a part of something that the, the sum of its parts is greater than, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And so uh, they, they, 
they, they love to talk to, they love to evangelize each other about how awesome it is that we're in this, how awesome it is that we completed uh, all, all the things. And, uh, and so they live for something bigger than themselves. A, a few years ago, I read a book by Sebastian Younger. He's a journalist and an author. Uh, spent a lot of time with a different military, but he wrote a book called Tribe. And in it, it was actually uh, focused on PTSD. Uh, and when we think about post-traumatic stress disorder, oftentimes we think about, well, uh, men and women have experienced some traumatic events in warfare, and, and that just kind of messes with them psychologically, and they get PTSD. But Younger actually points out in his book, he's like, those things can mess with you, but there's something much bigger going on in, in PTSD. He says, well, and he just did all this research and, and showed that what is really happening is these men and women who are, have this intense training and this intense camaraderie where you are on a mission, life or death, where you're literally willing to lay down your life for the people on your left and right, and you are pursuing a mission that's just intense, intense, and you see terrible things, no doubt. He says, but what, what is happening is when, when they come off, now they get ripped out of their community, they get ripped out of their purpose, they get ripped out of their mission, and they're just thrown back into the suburbs or wherever, and there's just this huge void. There's no longer, like, who, who's, my, who's my brothers in arms? Who's, who am I going to fight with? Where's my purpose? How, how do I deal with that? In, that? in that vacuum of disconnect and not being uh, a part of your purpose and your people, it, it leaves for some a, a, a void that PTSD can begin to flood in. Because you and I were made, and we're going to look in a, in a minute, we were made to not be individuals, but to be in community, to live for something greater than ourselves that will outlast ourselves. And the Bible's going to say the one thing that is above all things, bit bigger than the Marine Corps, essential oils, and your community in CrossFit is the local church. It is the thing that you and I were made for. So before we jump into our passage, I want to just do a couple foundational things. Look at Genesis chapter 1. I'll, I'll pull this up on the screen, uh, but just to kind of establish some things here. Genesis chapter 1. God is creating the universe, and it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So a couple things we learn immediately in the first chapter of the Bible. We learn some things about God, and we learn some things about us. We learn that God is a creating God, but he is also a relational God. Let us make man in our image. Now, there's some debate of, of whether or not this verse particularly means that, but throughout the rest of the Bible, we see that God is uh, eternally relational. He is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect love relationship with one another. And he makes man and he says, you're going to image me. And, and that's going to look like a couple different ways. It's going to look like exercising dominion over the earth, but it's also going to be relational. Now, now, ch- chapter 1 is kind of the 30,000-foot view, but in chapter 2, it zooms in, and, and we see that there's a problem. Chapter 2, verse 18. At this point, there's just Adam. He's named all the animals. He's exercising dominion. In that way, he's imaging God, but he's not fully imaging God yet because God is in relationship. He is, so, so to truly image God, not just vertically with God, there's got to be some horizontal connection, some horizontal relationship to image God. And so in chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Why? Because he's not fully imaging God in creation yet. That there's not any horizontal relationship. 
If you move on, again, we, we see the story. They, they have kids. Sin enters in the world. Brokenness comes. Uh, there's this downward spiral. It gets worse and worse and worse. All the way to Genesis chapter 11, where the, the people of the earth that, that, that have now filled the earth, they decide to make a name for themselves that in the Tower of Babel. They build this tower, and God, in grace, actually uh, says, this is not good for their souls to, to exalt themselves as he confuses their languages, scatters the people, and they get scattered to the ends of the earth. And then in chapter 12, there is a cornerstone of the Bible. There is a foundational truth that uh, I think we don't really get, but if you were a Jew at any time, really at any time in history, like this would be your first verse, kind of like John 3.16 for us, this would be the first verse you'd memorize. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God comes to Abram. He calls him out of his pagan worship, out of the land of the Chaldeans. And he, he makes this covenant with Abram. And he gives him this promise. Uh, chapter 3, or 12, 3. It says, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It says, basically, what happened in chapter 11, the scattering of the earth, uh, the cursing of the earth, is going to be reversed. And it's going to come through you, Abraham. And so this would have just been a, a central kind of verse that, that good Jew, Jewish boys and girls would have just kind of meditated on, been taught on. It would have rolled in their hearts and minds that a day is coming when all the nations, they didn't know what that would look like. They didn't know how through Abraham, all the nations, it seems like some of the nations were enemies of, of God's people. And so how was that going to work out? But nevertheless, this keeps coming up throughout the Old Testament and, and on. And then in Exodus... Exodus 19, after God delivers his people out of Egypt and uh, makes a covenant with them at Mount Sinai, uh, he says this in the covenant to Abram. And again, another foundational verse to understanding the Old Testament. It says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." Now, if that sounds familiar, it should. We just read it in 1 Peter. But when you, start, when you understand what, what was happening in Exodus 19 and in Genesis 12, and then you see Peter say, hey, this is fulfilled not only in Jesus, which is amazing. He's going to say this is fulfilled in Redemption Parker right now. So let's look at that. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So, so I, I, I mentioned those two verses, but there's one other central thing that is just obsessive in the minds of the Jewish people leading up to this point. It is the temple of God. The temple of God was the, the place where God uh, literally came down and filled it with his glory and it was seen and treasured above all uh, the place where God meets with his people on the earth. So, so again, they were nuts about the temple. Like, it, it was all about the temple. In fact, if you look at the first temple, when it was dedicated, it won't be on the screen, I'll just read it to you. Solomon dedicates a temple, but listen to what happens when he does it in Second Chronicles chapter 7. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. 
So, so there's this glory in the house of the Lord. That, that's what I want to emphasize here. When all the people of Israel saw fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, that's the third time he mentions it, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The temple was the place where God came down. His glory was seen. It was experienced. His manifest presence was there. The blessings were there. It was all about the temple. They were obsessive about the temple. I mean, 20 years ago when I was working in the world of finance, I worked with an Orthodox Jewish lady and she had on her screen a live webcam at all times of the Western Wall in Jerusalem. The Western Wall is all that's left of the temple that Jesus walked around because in the year 70 AD, the Romans came and destroyed everything and they left one wall up. And today, thousands will come and they will pray at this wall and they'll pray to God because this, a little bit of a remembrance of where God came down, where the glory came, that they are obsessive. And there's just massive stones that build this, this, this wall, like, like 10 foot by, by four foot bricks, just these massive stones. They're obsessive about the temple. Now notice what, what, Jesus, what Peter says. He says, Jesus is the living stone. Um, where is it? Uh, so as you come to him, a, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Do, do, do you get the implication of that? If the temple is a place where God's glory is present, where it's manifest, where the blessings go forward, Peter's saying it's not about the place in Jerusalem anymore. We know that God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus came down and he, John chapter 1 tells us he tabernacled among us. And we can kind of even get that. Like, okay, we get that. Jesus, wherever Jesus goes, God goes. But Peter's saying something very, very significant in some very special way. Right now, the presence, the manifested glory of God, and the, the blessing to the nations is represented in this room. And not as individuals, but together. Notice these stones aren't scattered and, and off and doing their own thing. It says, you yourselves are living stones. Like there's a dyna- there's, there's, it's dynamic, it's breathing, it's moving, it, it's coming together. Uh, living stones rejected by men. Um, you yourselves are living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. We, we are the place on the earth where people can encounter God. <laughs> that, that, that's mind-blowing because it just seems like we're in the suburbs. It just seems like we're sharing the place with another church and, and in a city building. He says, no, no, no. Far, 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 far more is happening when you gather and you manifest God's glory and grace to the nations, he says, he goes on, he says, you're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. What does a priest do? I mean, those of us with a Catholic background, we're like, oh, we, we know a priest does his prayers, makes his sacrifices, uh, he kind of connects the people with God. We get that, but, but he's saying we are a priesthood. We know that Jesus is the ultimate priest. He's the ultimate mediator between God and man, and he's made the way for us, but he says that you, this is the priesthood of all believers. We 
now mediate between God and the world. We pray for the world. We bring the blessings to the world. We make sacrifices, but not like they used to make because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. It says we make, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our lives, laying down our lives for one another and for our neighbors and the nations are our sacrifices. This is how we exercise our priestly duties. This is insane. <laughs> because, again, think of Peter's audience. They are being persecuted. They've been scattered. They, they are in a shame and honor culture. We're, we're, we're not really in a shame and honor culture. But if you've ever spent time in shame and honor cultures, this is a big deal. Like, so, so did you know that the first century Christians, they were considered by the Romans as atheists? Like, what are you talking about? No, they believe in God. No. The, the, they would say, well, where's your, where's your temple? Well, we don't have a temple. Where's your priests? Well, we're all priests. <laughs> Where's your sacrifices? Well, we don't believe in that. There was one sacrifice that was made. They're like, even the Jews have a temple and they have priests and they make sacrifices. We don't, we don't get this. And so it became very offensive. It wasn't offensive for the Christians to say, Jesus is God. They're like, we got many gods. It was, what was offensive was Jesus is God and he is the only God and he is the only way and he is the only hope. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sound familiar? Sounds like today, right? And so, uh, in different ways, we, we don't call them gods, but the different idols of our culture, we, we echo the first century. Uh, they were shamed in a shame and honor culture because they were seen as bad for society. If you believe that certain sacrifices and offerings and acceptances and rich rituals to other gods are necessary for your city's flourishing and safety, and the, you have a group of people that say, we're not going to do any of that, I'm like, what's up with these people? They're going to bring the, the disfavor of the gods on our heads. And so uh, they were shamed. They, they continued to be shamed in a shame and honor culture. They had already been scattered. And you can imagine, like, no one likes that. And, the, and there's this, this temptation, like, man, maybe I should just go back. Maybe I should just make the sacrifice. Maybe I should just be like everyone else because then I won't be shamed and I'll just be accepted. We, we all want that. But here's what Peter is saying. Hey, Remember Jesus. No one was shamed more than Jesus. No one deserved honor more than Jesus. He says, he was the builder that was rejected by men. But, but, but first he says, uh, he, he quotes a couple passages in Isaiah 28 and Psalm 18. He said, behold, I am laying a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So you guys are feeling shame, but, but, but if you believe in him, you won't be put to shame. So, for, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. Here's what Peter's saying. saying, you are being shamed right now. Just as Jesus said, you would be shamed because he was shamed. But there's going to be a great reversal. Just as Jesus was shamed on the cross, naked for our sins and buried in the tomb, three days later, he conquered death in the grave and he was resurrected and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is at the place of the highest honor above all. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He says, our destiny, our experience as, as Christians is tied to his destiny, his experience. Yes, you are shamed for a little while, but you have an eternity of honor waiting for you. And 
those that are shaming you who the world honors, an eternity of shame is coming toward them. So persevere, church. Know who you are. You're a living stone. You're the temple of God. And then he kind of unpacks this even more in verse 9. But you are a chosen race. The blessing of Abraham would come through Jesus. We know that. But it wouldn't be it wouldn't be an ethnic heritage any longer. It would be an adopted heritage. That's why adoption is so close to the heart of God. Because people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, through Jesus, through Abraham, is, is being blessed. And so we are a chosen race. Did you know this? That the 12-year-old girl in India who is following Jesus, who knows nothing of your language, nothing of your culture, nothing of your music, nothing of what we value here in the suburbs, nothing of that. Did you know that you and I in Christ have far, far, far more in common with her than our neighbor who looks like us, drives cars like us, watches the same things as us? Because here's the deal. Forever we're going to spend with her. Forever we're going to get to know her. We're going to hear her stories of how God's grace flooded into her life and through her life. And we're going to share our stories. And we're going to be so close to her that our neighbors will seem like distant, distant memories. Because we're the family of God. Chosen race. Brought into the household of God. We are a royal priesthood. We already talked about that. We're, 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 we're mediating the grace of God to the world. We're, we're bringing the blessings of God to the world. We're a holy nation. That was last week. We're set apart. We're, we're a different people set apart for the exclusive use of the worship of God. We're a people of his own possession. Do you remember how, how Moses put it? In fact, we, it could be translated this way here as well. We are God's treasured possession. I mean, that's saying a lot. But think about it. God is saying of everything in creation, everything that I've ever made, Redemption Parker is my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing. I, I, I dote over it. I, I think it's so awesome. And, and that makes sense because he spilled his blood for it. He gave everything to, to have it, and so he cherishes it. He loves it. Zechariah says that he sings over his people. Like, we sing to God, but, but probably not very good compared to how he's singing over us right now. Do you feel that? This is what Peter wants the, his readers to feel in a, in a place where they're being shamed. He's like, God is singing over you. You are his treasured possession. He dotes over you. Or as Pastor Tim Keller puts it, it says, if we have the smile of God, all other frowns are inconsequential. Think about that. If you know who you are in Christ, if you know what Peter is saying to you about who you are in, in God's family, man, what, ma- what, what can the world throw at you in that moment? Nothing. He goes on. He says, but all of this has a purpose. We, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, living stones, all of those things. It has a purpose so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our lives have purpose and their purpose is, is fulfilled not in isolation, not in our own little pursuits, not in how I, me and Jesus are going to do our quiet time per se. Our purpose is pursued together as we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we do every Sunday. That's all we do. 
<laughs> that, that's what our liturgy is about. We're, we're proclaiming the excellencies of Him. Uh, that's what our songs are about. That's what our, our, our catechism is about. That's what this time is about. That's what this communion table is about. We are together proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and light. It starts in here, right? I mean, just like, just like Marines. Marines love to talk to other Marines about how awesome it is to be a Marine. Essential oil people love to talk to other essential oil people and be like, hey, this is awesome. Try this new blend. It'll give you a halo. It'll, like just, it'll be amazing. And they, they just love to talk. And then other people are like, well, I've got a headache. Let me try this. And they, they get another one in, right? Like eventually it goes out. But it doesn't stay here. It, it, it has legs. It, it's meant to go out to, again, like we would put it here, the neighbors and the nations. But we do that together. We don't we're on mission together. We're, we're part of something being built up that is bigger than, than ourselves. It's what you were created for. It's how you image God. It's how you bring the blessings of God to the world. And so I would just say this, that as we, as we roll into this, how, how do we think about this? I, I think if you think about bricks or, or stones that, that will go into buildings, the glory of a brick is not the brick. It's not being in a pile like the glory of the brick is when that brick is used by the master craftsman and an amazing cathedral or, or building that, that becomes a monument in its own. And you're like, man, that is an amazing thing. And yes, you can look at the individual bricks and you can be like, oh, that brick's kind of cool. But no, it's the bricks that are part of the whole that make it glorious. We, we've got to break out of a culture that is so consumed with our own little brick. You may be like, well, I don't really like that. I want to be just off on the side so people can see me. Okay, but the glory of bricks is to come together and to build something that lasts. And so, uh, again, I would just say experiencing God happens best in community. Like reading the Bible, something different happens in your Bible study or when we, even in this moment, together than just on your own. Uh, That's why we want to lay down the tracks for you to get in community. It's why we believe in covenant membership. Because of passages like this, we belong to one another. We are covenanted with God. We covenant to one another. We want to be all in. We want to find our place in the story because we were created for that. The the, the emptiest lives are the most self-centered, self-focused lives, even though our hearts tell us, hey, let's just live for ourselves. We know that when we live for others, our lives are fuller. And so we experience God best in community. Uh, that, that's part of what's, what's so hard of 2020, right? Like one of the key purposes of the church to gather and, and proclaim the excellency of, of God. We had to figure out creative ways to do that and they weren't awesome. <laughs> they still aren't awesome. But my hope is as, as, as the Lord allows, as we're able to continue to make this time a priority, we would do it. We, we make our gospel community a priority, we would do it even if we don't feel like it because we believe we're living for something bigger than ourselves. We would do it in our core groups. We'd go to the marriage class. We'd go to the Bible studies because being together, God does something amazing. So we want to lay down that. We want you to get involved in a gospel community. We want you to become a covenant member. We want you to get plugged in. You can check all that out online. This is an invitation. This passage is an invitation to come build with us. Let's build something that doesn't bring glory to any one of us, but brings glory to God. Because here's the deal. We are the church. We're the living temple of God, manifesting his presence and proclaiming his excellencies together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and then come to this table. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. 
Lord, I pray that for each of us that have been called by you, we would find more joy in finding our purpose together than on our own. So show us what that means. Show us how to lay down our lives, how to serve one another, how to love one another, how to do the 54 one another's of the New Testament. Uh, And let us be an accurate picture of what you put before us in your word today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.